All right, blockaders, you know what time it is. It's time to sit down with the man, the myth, the legend himself after a high day of clamming, Mr. Robin Vote. Let's sit back, relax, and make the jump into a galaxy far, far away. Man, rumor has it that galaxy's even out far past Dorchester. Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome back to Make the Jump here from the BrickCityBlockade.com podcast network. That's right, sitting across here on the East Coast is Mr. Robin Vote. You know me, you hear me all the time. Maybe to your liking or maybe not, who knows? There's so many different shows you can listen to here on the network. Over on the West Coast, I've had Ken Knapsack on the show, of course, from Four Center Podcast, and our good friend Mr. Stephen Stanton, of course. But tonight, I have the man himself, Mr. Joseph Scrimshaw of Four Center Podcast, and his voice, you cannot miss it from a mile away. Joseph, how are you doing tonight, my friend? I'm doing great. Thanks. Uh, thanks for describing my voice is, uh, is unmissable. I think, I think, I think that I like that. <laughs> hey, and you know what the thing is too, and I told Ken this before I said, I listen to Four Center Podcast all the time. <laughs> and listen, between you and Ken, man, I mean, it's always a grand old time. And, uh, when it comes to Star Wars too, I mean, dude, let me ask you, one of the things I always ask people, you know, when they come on Make the Jump is where their love of Star Wars really started and just where, you know, <laughs> something that's binded us all together as Star Wars fans, where that love started. So for you, where was that and when did that happen? Uh, yeah, for me, I'm I'm a little older, so it happened uh, when the original movies were out. Um, right. I, I saw, you know, I was kind of aware of science fiction. I had watched Star Trek with my dad, and then Star Wars in particular, just imprinting on Luke Skywalker of like, oh, wow, here's a kind of scrawny, a little bit uh, whiny guy that nobody seems to really uh, believe in, but he's got <laughs> all this... Hope and optimism and this uh, power and you know right. for me it will be you know I, I remember have so many early memories of playing with the action figures and uh, for me mm. the you know Luke Skywalker staring off into the twin suns that uh, that Oof. song of destiny and desire and like man there's something else out there for me I know it if I could just get to that you know growing up I really really carried that in my heart that feeling of there's something else out there and and I can be a part of it and I should be a part of it and I. It's my responsibility to be a part of it, and so much of that. I think that's like that's my real Star Wars anchor. Ah, oh, that's such a that's such a motivating story, man. I mean, I can totally understand that. It's like I, I feel like Star Wars has that uh, inner inner job within us. Like like you said, like there, there's this outer purpose that we are working towards. Star Wars has always been that outlet that just gives us that bit of hope. And it's like, yeah, you know what? I almost have a job to do in this life. Like much like Luke Luke Skywalker, it's it's thrown upon us, and it's our job to pick it up and run with it, and to take it to new levels in many ways. And I feel like in Star Wars, no matter who it is, they all have their their own role, they have their own place that they have to be, they have their own journey that they have to go on, and it's funny that, you know, you bring that whole point up, because I was actually recently talking with the podcast network on our Brick City Blockade Live, and one of the main things we talked about, Joseph, was was the role of certain characters in Star Wars. It's very similar to life itself. We have our own way of molding ourselves into the universe and creating that pathway that opens up pathways for other people too. And I feel like as a fandom, that really is our job too. Would you say so? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I really like sharing and celebrating Star Wars on like every level from, the, you know, what does it mean to you in that way of that like really uh, that deep connection and purpose in the galaxy. Excuse me, I'm drinking some whiskey. Um, oh, but good also, man. <laughs> also, just it's fun. And I like celebrating it on that camp level. Like, you know, I think it affected me really deeply like that as a kid. But then also, I was just remembering this the other day, being out in the backyard for a long time trying to make a stick move with the force because mm, just mm. having those powers would be cool. And, you know, it'd be fun to just be able to call things over to you and knock things over with your mind. That sounds fun. So <laughs> I think it's really, um, really important to celebrate it on, on all the levels. Oh, absolutely, man. And you knew that stick was coming right for you, too. You were like, <laughs> you were like heck yeah, this thing is moving right towards me, and I don't care what anybody else says, man. You yeah, know? well, I want I want to believe there <laughs> cross uh, genres there. I want to oh, believe. Someday oh, that absolutely. stick will move. <laughs> oh, it hasn't moved for you yet? Oh, not quite well, yet. I, yeah. I, I haven't, oh, I don't know what I've been. Well, this is awkward. All right. If you're <laughs> no, absolutely, man. No, it, it's fantastic. And I feel like every day that we walk through life, we're trying to find those little connections here and there. And it just makes our connection to Star Wars and our fandom and our loves that much more important. But here on Make the Jump tonight, we're taking that love to the next level, man. We're breaking it down. We're talking about some of the captains of Star Wars that I feel like, and I, I don't know how you feel about it, Joseph, but, you know, some of the love that these guys uh, and these people within the Star Wars universe, I, I feel like they get the screen time, and then we're like, oh, okay, we got to move on to some of these other characters. But one of these captains that I, that I really want to break down it's Mr. Captain Kennedy, of course. You saw him on the Dreadnought in uh, the beginning of The Last Jedi. And I was talking to Joseph, and like I say here at the network all the time, sometimes the most interesting, quick little discussions happen before I hit the record button. And uh, one of the things about Kennedy that I've noticed is his mannerisms and the way that um, the character shines really at the beginning of The Last Jedi. And... It's something that we haven't really seen out of the First Order uh, throughout the first two films, throughout The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi itself. And, Joseph, one of the things I really noticed is that Kennedy really has the classic Empire feel to him, that real aggressive, like, this is the way things are going to happen. What do you mean you don't have things done yet? we got to jump on this. we got to make sure things are getting done. Part of my language, we got to make sure she's getting done here. <laughs> like, that, yeah. that's what's so important. And it was fascinating, again, like I said, when I went back and I watched it, I'm like, wow, this would be a guy that Vader would have on his crew in, like, like seconds. He'd be like, dude, Kennedy is my right-hand man right now. I'm not going to force choke him right away. H how do you feel about Kennedy? Because I feel like he, he went away from us too quickly. Oh, you mean the, the sad that he passed? That he died, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm up for a Moden Kennedy novel, a comic book, yeah, because I would love more of these uh, these characters. I think he tells the story of the First Order that we kind of know a little bit more from books and comics really well, that there's some of them who grew up with the Empire, they were in the Empire, they saw how the Empire uh, fell, and they want to do the Empire again, but better. So yeah. not only you get the sense that he's older and experienced, but that maybe he's even more at the top of his game than Ozzel was, or even Veers. You know, Veers mm. is one of the most competent we get to see in the original trilogy. But you almost get this sense of, like, not only am I older and doing things 
the right way. I've had years to study and train because this is Empire 2.0. I know yeah, the mistakes seriously. I made. Ozzel did come out of the <laughs> light speed too close to the system. I'm not doing that, you know? Not on the Fulminatrix, no. Um, so I think there's that kind of really interesting, very detailed Star Wars story. But then just as like a moviegoer, just watching that one movie, he's got this air of the adult in the room that mm -hmm. I think people naturally gravitate toward. Like, he seems like he's the guy, like, if you came across a vending machine that wasn't working, he'd be the one who's like, for God's sake. And he would just, like, walk over and <laughs> yeah. hit it at the right place, and it'd make it work, and you'd go on with your life because we have adult things to do. Like, he's just got that vibe, which I think it makes him kind of, even though he's a bad guy, uh -huh. trying to kill our heroes, you gravitate towards him because we all like an adult in the room who's going to make problems go away. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and in a like you said, within a group of I guess you could say youngsters, he, he really is a teacher in that sense. He probably, uh, from my understanding, probably has a cl very clear knowledge of the original sense of the Empire. He's classically trained uh, in many ways, much like Avers, but in a very different way. Somebody who probably has uh, who understands the mistakes that were made in the past by some by some constituents and takes that to the next level and says, I'm going to rise above what my constituents in the past have done. And then obviously somebody who is leading the front of one of the most powerful uh, ships in the first order Navy, you could say um, somebody who is uh, going full speed ahead uh, with, with a dreadnought. And you hear how the resistance talks about the dreadnought. It's like, Holy cow. You know, this thing is pretty serious. Obviously, uh, Ryan Johnson pulling from some Star Wars legends with that name, the Dreadnought there, which I think is kind of interesting, and pulling from some Star Wars lore. Uh, that's the first thing that really caught my attention listening. I was like, whoa, he just pulled a term from stuff that really not a lot of people talk about, but our hard us hardcore nerds really love to talk about. And I thought that that was absolutely great. And to just add that extra level of gravitas with a character like Kennedy – what Moden Candy was was absolutely fantastic, and um, I, now Joseph, I was thinking about this as well after seeing a ca character like Kennedy finally show up, I, and I say finally because I've been kind of waiting for it. Would you like to see more of that as we're heading forward with the First Order? Because obviously, with Ren leading the First Order, I don't see it be being anything mamby pamby. Uh, I see him really choosing people who are like first up. This is the way it's going to be, much like Vader. These are the people who I want to lead the Order. Do you see that happening? In a slightly different way. I see it happening hmm. not because of Kylo Ren, but in response to Kylo Ren. Interesting. I think, uh, you know, Kylo wants to be like uh, Vader. Vader was a good military commander because he learned from being in the Clone Wars, and Kylo Ren doesn't hmm. have any of that experience. Um and he's also, I don't think he's a good military, he's maybe not the most brilliant military guy there ever was, and he's obviously having some emotional issues uh, right. constantly as well. And uh, I talk about it a lot, I love that look that Hux gives him in uh, the base on Crate when Hux realizes that uh, Kylo's obsession with Luke caused them to lose the resistance, to have mm. the resistance get away and survive. And... Is sort of like immature and angry and buffoonish as uh, Hux has been. That look he gives him is just dead serious, where he suddenly, almost in that moment, becomes the adult in the room and realizes, all right, well, Kylo can do whatever he wants because he can choke me, he can kill me, and he might. Right. Uh, so in order to survive, I kind of have to play his game, 
but I wonder if it might be the kind of thing that makes Hux grow up really, really quickly. Mm. So Hux realizes if this is going to come together, if I'm even going to survive the, you know, the First Order trying to take control of the galaxy under the, the threat of this little resistance, mm -hmm. uh, that I need to take it really seriously and I need to get some knowledgeable people around me. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I mean, you know Hux's background. I mean, his father obviously being there uh, during the end of the Empire and during the foundation of the First Order itself, uh, he has some background knowledge in, in many ways. You could say his father kind of groomed him in a way uh, to be weary of those who lead and be weary of those who end up creating a pathway uh when for with the formation of the first order and i think you're absolutely right i think that's another character that we have to really keep an eye on is hux himself because like you said he 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 does grow up and it's like wow we we literally have an emotional 15 year old who really doesn't know <laughs> what's going on here you know he's slamming his locker all the time and he thinks he has girlfriends and then he ends up showing up at math class and he's still having a hard time with multiplication and, and, and it's like hold on a second Wait, I understand what's going on here. And this guy is is having a complete meltdown in front of me. And like you said, yeah. he, he's, he's growing up in that process while Kylo Ren is not necessarily growing up, but he's, he's going through a lot of emotions and he's trying to figure out, what, you know, is he power hungry or now it's time for me to step in and, and really take control of this first order the way that it was slated to be. Yeah, and yeah. That that's so crucial, and I and I feel like with J.J. Abrams coming back and the way that Ryan Johnson set that up at the end, especially at the end of Last Jedi, more specifically, the whole idea of Huck saying "Long live the supreme leader," and it's that whole concept of order in the galaxy. The the concept of something has to be given to us that we can move forward with, and not let that angry emotional 15 year old try to try to control us yeah yeah and when you look at some of the actual successes of the first order they are much more on hux's tech side you know mm. he's the one who who you know built the star killer base and he's the one who continued that imperial research that we learned about in rogue one and made yeah. the uh, new technology for tracking ships across hyperspace so as much as hux is probably not a great military commander because he's a little overzealous and, and kind of uh, led by his fear and a little bit of his own immaturity. Uh, he's still the one who's actually been scoring some hits while Kylo's out there settling family disputes. <laughs> Making an L.A. Dodgers uh, reference here. It's almost like Kylo Ren is the Yasiel Puig and you really don't know where he's going with it. And uh, Hux is like the Josh Turner over at second base, making sure everything's working with all you Dodgers fans out there, our West Coast lovers, and uh, me being a Mets fan. Well, well, we won't get into that. But uh, it, it, it's it's a fascinating relationship to see play out because when we went into The Force Awakens and we saw the uh, development of Kylo Ren truly and then that relationship with Hux, it was like, okay, where, where are we going with this? Where, yeah. you know, where, where's this development happening? Where, where, where are we going to lead off? And, and where are we going to see these characters move on to? And it, it's amazing to see now that we're moving through the process of JJ brought us these characters. Ryan kind of boosted them, gave us this different perspective. And now JJ is closing it out with them. It's really cool to see that 
Ryan left it off a certain way, and now J.J. has to really take those attitudes that we saw at the end of The Last Jedi and in many ways kind of say, all right, I'm going to put a cap on them or, in J.J. Abrams' style, maybe I'll just maybe I'll just put some more questions in there about who they truly are and we'll answer those at a later point. And J.J. does such a great job with that. Obviously, we saw that with The Force Awakens. And I think you brought up a really great point about Hux, too, is that he's not a great military leader. But when given the tools to lead a military, he can organize them in a way. Yeah. And, and, and he can push them forward. And traditionally, that's what you see with leaders within the Empire and the original Empire, the uh, Empire that Palpatine truly wanted to see succeed. And... In many ways, I thought about this the other day when I was watching Kylo Ren get all moody and everything. Um, I, I was I was watching, oh, what scene was it? It was the one where he kept firing on Luke and he asked, all fire concentrated, and then Hux says to more. him, More! <laughs> more! More! And he's like, oh, do you, you think you got him? <laughs> yes. Um, you know, and I was thinking in my head, I'm like, wow, imagine if Palpatine witnessed this. And saw the decisions that Kylo Ren had made after defeating Supreme Leader Snoke. You kind of take a step back and you say, holy cow, this guy is truly set up to fail in many ways. He's setting up his own failure and in many ways is, is almost orchestrating. Something is orchestrating it that way. And... Hux is such a great example of amongst all of that, he's kind of like figuring this all out. And he's trying to be like, okay, all right, he's doing his thing. I've got to calm him down and I got to do what's right for me. And you feel for him. You kind of do. You're like, okay, this is a real tough situation. And it's probably a situation he did not want to end up in, in many ways. Um, it's it's kind of almost mind-boggling in some ways, Joseph, and, <laughs> and it's and it's crazy to think that Ryan Johnson was able to take that and give us make us want to answer more questions in yeah. many ways and set up the set up episode nine that way. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I, mean, I think one of the great things about Last Jedi is that uh, it drills down on uh, on villains being motivated by fear, which of course it ties into all of the lessons of the prequels, and that's the Step mm. to the dark side, but that fear can it can make you powerful through your anger and hate. Uh, but it can also make you weak. And mm. the villains are in Left Jedi are all motivated by fear. You know, Hux That's wants true. to prove himself. He's uh, afraid that he will look weak. He's afraid he'll be in. You know, he gets easily embarrassed uh, by Poe. And then everything that Snoke and Kylo Ren are doing, like Hux has this massive military machine. Uh, with all of this surprise tech that the Resistance doesn't even know about, and you get the sense that, well, maybe if he could just move his pieces, he'd be okay. But there's yeah. all this weird Force stuff, because Snoke <laughs> is afraid of Luke Skywalker, Kylo Ren is afraid of Luke Skywalker as well, and afraid of his own internal turmoil and all of this. And you get the sense that Hux is just like, hey, uh, if, if you guys could knock it off with the weird Force stuff, I have lots of cool tech, and maybe I could make some things happen. And it's cool that Hux like seems to uh, almost grow up in in those moments towards the end when he sees Kylo Ren's fear from the outside 
Mm. Like he can almost see like how stupid it, it seems when with with that great line of like, "Do you think you got him?" Because Hux can see like he's just he's just one guy with the laser sword, and all we have to do is push through, kill the resistance, and we're done. Yeah, and, yeah. And Kylo's fear messes all of that up, mm. and it and it lets the first and it almost motivates the first order to make decisions that aren't going to really help out in the long run, and. That's the most frustrating point for Hawks is it's like, hold on, we're going we're gonna to let this emotional guy control exactly how we're going to defeat the resistance. And uh, it doesn't help when Poe makes a complete idiot out of him to start the film either. I mean, that's... No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Making Hilarious. comments about his mother, too. I mean, whoa, <laughs> whoa, we can't be, do- we can't be doing that. That, that, that. That's a no-go. Yeah. Uh, to, 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 with a Star Wars film. But no, I, I absolutely love that. And uh, it, it's really cool to see that development. I'm super excited when it comes to Episode Nine to see where where JJ is going to play out those two characters in that relationship, because there are so many different possibilities that he could play off of. And uh, he's left, and Ryan Johnson left it in a way that it's like, here, JJ, you know, I you you were behind the scenes on a lot of this, you oversaw a lot of the story progression and now it's time for you to pick this up and to move forward with it. And I like I like how you say I like how you say, Joseph, the connection to the prequels. Because I've talked to a lot of people and they're like they're like, ah, you know, and I and I've mentioned it. I'm like I'm like, no, there's there's some tones here that are very similar to the prequels in The Last mm-hmm. Jedi. There's a lot of connections that you can say, well, you know, George kinda had those kind of attitudes and a lot of those progressions happening in the prequels if you're talking about phantom menace and through attack of the clones and especially through revenge of the sith you know there, there's a lot of similarities there and they're like ah, i don't know what you're talking about I don't, <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about the prequels i don't want to talk about that and i consider myself a prequelist in many ways i, I absolutely love what george did with the prequels in terms of the politics and in terms of uh, some of the story progressions and as much as i don't gravitate towards Attack of the Clones necessarily, that the politics of Attack of the Clones is absolutely fantastic. And Joseph, for you, would you like to see more politics play out here towards the end of this trilogy? Yeah, I mean, I always am open for a little bit more politics. Uh, I I love The Force Awakens, but I do think they course corrected uh, on the common criticism of the prequels being having too many boring, quote-unquote, boring political scenes. I think they mm-hmm. course-corrected. They really wanted to say, like, look, that flavor of the original trilogy is back. They're trying yeah. to juggle a lot of things. But I think it did lead to confusion where a, a little bit more clear state of the galaxy would have really, really helped people. And it's one of the things that people have a lot of questions about. Uh, yeah. More casual viewers have for more hardcore people of, like, what is... Now, the Resistance is working with the Republic, but not really. And how long has the First Order been around? And why don't they know they're there? And where are Like, all that. I feel like (laughs) a lot of it, you know, and a lot of it is there. It's just you got to read the crawl and really extrapolate and go, oh, like the last Jedi crawl has, the First Order is taking military control. Yeah. So you, you can imagine there's all sorts of other First Order ships taking control of Fondor and Corellia because they're the shipbuilding yards. They're just, you know, <laughs> taking care of, you know, wherever Coaxium is being made now. Just, you know, whatever resource we know in Star Wars, Dunium, uh, they're going <laughs> right. and locking that stuff down. You know, is Ryloth is always a problem when it comes to rebellions. Are they right there on Ryloth? You know, and just taking vicious military control 
in this power vacuum. So like, to me, that's like this really rich political idea, but it's just like really one line of basic text in the crawl. And mm. I would love to see more of those ideas play out in episode nine. Like, I would like to see it be a, a time of just kind of chaos. Mm. Even if it's, uh, even if it's a year, even if it's two years that, you know, th this isn't Palpatine who carefully orchestrated this and then set up a government exactly the way he <laughs> wanted to manipulate things the way he wanted. Right. I want to see it just being like the first order is just, just brutally keeping their boot on the neck of all of these various planets and just keeping people afraid. And there's, there's only this very small band of resistance to fight back. And everybody else is like, there's no central government. There's no one else to push back. So we just have to take this because they're there and they have blasters and we don't. Yeah. Yeah. And in many ways, I feel that. We need to take the politics of what's developed uh, between The Last Jedi and obviously we have the destruction of Hosnian Prime. That is completely eradicated from the picture. The, the, what does Huck say in that? The, the powers that lead the resistance have to be defeated. That has yeah. to be wiped off the face of the universe so that they are completely on the run. And, of course, we see that in The Last Jedi literally on the run the entire time we're following along uh, with the resistance and now the one connection I would love to see and you bring it up is the connection like we see in Rogue One where everybody is just standing around like you said the boot is on the neck and they're saying you know what, what do we have left you know wh what can we gather here because we're running out of time and we're running out of this concept of having the support needed to make sure that the first order is out of the picture exactly what we see in Rogue One, like like the guy in the background after Jin says, you know, she proposes the entire idea of going to Scarif and everything, and the guy in the background is like, what is she proposing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, a little bit of that with, with the resistance and the idea that maybe we see some of the forefront characters, maybe we see Poe Dameron step up to the plate, and he's there at the round table, and he's like, listen, these are these are our options. These are the things that we can work with. Those calls that go out to the people in uh, The Last Jedi, the calls that were not heard. Um, yeah. You know, who 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 was on the receiving end of those but didn't respond? Is it Lando? Does Lando end up at that round table when they're yeah. trying to figure out what's going on? Uh, Lando and Enub are standing right next to each other once again. <laughs> and, once and again. Having, <laughs> and Reunited, then, and it feels so good. Oh, man, and then Chewie standing across. Oh, I... Oh, that's a that's a whole other situation. Yeah. Um, All wearing Han's clothes. All oh, isn't oh oh no! <laughs> In memoriam to Han Solo, yeah. we took your we took your clothes. We're gonna rock them. <laughs> yeah, I, it would be really great to see not only that Resistance Roundtable like you're describing something that kind of rhymes with Rogue One would be awesome, but then I, I suspect that we might see this clear idea of hope surviving in the form of the resistance where you know clearly the legend of what luke skywalker did the the possibility mm. can stand up to the first order you know it'd be great if it started with a scene of you know the first order just brutalizing some society and you know oh dameron's x-wing comes swinging down and and ray the jedi bursts forth with her lightsaber and you see that look of hope in people's eyes of like oh there are people fighting maybe i can fight too because i feel like that's you know the power of what Luke did is reigniting that hope of like, you you can stand up, 
you know, maybe you're maybe you're force sensitive out there, like broom kid. Maybe you're not. You, maybe yeah, you're yeah. A blaster, but you can you can stand up against them. Everybody can stand up against them. Uh, you know, I would love to see all of those ideas kind of play out literally. Uh, and I think they are political. You know, that idea. Yeah. Of, uh, there's a large force that seems like you you can't change it. Well, you can. You know. Yeah. In Star Wars, you can pick up a blaster. Uh, you know. In, in reality, we can vote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's it's uh, concepts that find both pathways, both here in life and then, of course, on the big screen. And I like that idea that Poe and Ray suddenly show up and raise that spark of hope. Like Luke was was the Jedi Master. He was the legend. But now Ray, in many ways, after taking down Supreme Leader Snoke, she's a legend in many ways. Like yeah. Ray, Ray shows up, it's like oh. She's the one who took out Supreme Leader Snoke. And it's that whole concept of Rey now coming to the concept of, well, Luke was kind of a legend. Well, guess what? Now I have to play that role a little bit. Yeah. Now, I, now I'm seen in the galaxy as this legend that slayed the leader of the First Order. And I almost have to live up to that, much like Luke had to, sadly, I mean, he came to the reality of, well, maybe I am just a legend. Maybe that's all I am. Now Ray has to now be faced with that. And she heard yeah. Luke say that herself. You know, she she saw the sadness and, and the depression that it brought upon him and, and the idea that he was this legend and, and he failed. Ray essentially hasn't really I, I'm gonna say she hasn't really experienced that failure yet. The only thing that she's felt is that she tried to cur- turn Kylo back to the good, and he, and, he, and he just didn't do it. And that's when yeah. she realized that, oh, you know, that, that's that's not going to work out. But she truly hasn't felt what it is like to be the person who is looked upon by others and says, you know what, she, she, she's pretty special. She she did something that not, a, not anybody else has been able to do other than Luke Skywalker, and yeah. that is to slay a legend. And, uh, you know, of course, on the dark side of the Force. And it's absolutely fascinating, and I, and I love the idea that the politics mix with things that we love, and the politics mix with the legend of Rey now, and that it all comes together, and that the Jedi and those who are not associated necessarily with the Jedi or the Force come together as one. We see that in the Falcon at the end, Joseph, that the Jedi and then the politics and the people who are associated with the Resistance come together, and, and they come to the realization of this is it, this is the family. Yeah. And that's, that's something that kind of the prequels did in many ways. You know, you saw that with Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan, that the Jedi interacted with the politics. And they came together to solve an issue in many ways. And did it end up the way that they necessarily wanted it to? No. <laughs> no. But, but it was that whole cooperation point. Like you said, you can go out and vote. You go to the ballot box, you get your vote out there. These people in the Star Wars universe are essentially taking their vote to the next level. <laughs> They're yeah. saying, they, they don't this have a choice. happen now. Yeah. yeah, they really don't. I mean, there's yeah. no two ballot boxes. I can't be a libertarian in the galaxy. I, I, I just can't do that unless, unless there's a planet who supports libertarians in the galaxy, which if you do, call us up right now because hey. uh, I'm curious. A wide variety of planets there uh, politically, I'm sure. Yeah, I think that's one of the other like uh, strong connections to the prequels. George Lucas has been quite explicit of – the prequels are meant to show, like, here's what can go wrong with the government, you know, when it gets uh, too old and gets sort of infiltrated by uh, by money and people who have too much power. Yeah. Uh, and 
here an institution like the Jedi that mean well, they can get too stuck in their ways and they mm. can fail. And then in many ways, like the original trilogy, uh, our hero's goal is to get back what was lost, which was to get that system of government back. And in theory for Luke to start an, a new Jedi order and just do it all again. Yeah. And I think what's really powerful about the sequel and particularly where Ryan Johnson left last Jedi our our heroes are really faced with these big decisions of like, of course we need a government, of course there should be Jedi, but what should they be? How should they be different? And to me, that's like the most respectful thing of the prequels, really making it a part of this um, three trilogy story that George Lucas said, like, here are the flaws, here's how the uh, the villains are defeated in the original trilogy, but now the sequel trilogy is like, are you going to be able to break the cycle? How can how can Ray do something different with the Jedi? How can mm. you know? And I don't think we're going to fully get this story in Episode Nine, but I think it's just um, sort of that feeling of this is not just to set things. You know, some stuff got knocked over, and we're going to set it back up. This is all, all right. it's all on us. We're all young. This is our galaxy now. Most of our you know heroes and legends are, are passing on. Mm-hmm. And it's our decision. Everything we do is our decision. How are we going to not repeat the cycle? And I'm really interested uh, to see if the movie tackles that idea at all. Because I, I feel like that's what Ryan Johnson really did with The Last Jedi is leave it so Episode Nine has some truly new places to go. Mm. Mm, that's so true. And one of the best things, and George did such a good job with this, with the prequels and even with the original trilogy in many ways, and you just said it beautifully, is that whole concept of the next generation taking over. And yeah. one of the beauties of Star Wars is that connection to real life and that connection to the modern world in which we live in. And in many ways, Ryan Johnson gave that to us. It was like the old is leaving and the new is coming into power. And we see that even in life, that the old Absolutely. is moving on and we're seeing that it's time for the new to step up. And it's time for the new to say, okay, these were the legends of the past. These were the people who gave it to us. It's time for us to continue that and to keep this idea of hope and peace and justice in the galaxy real and alive. And it's funny, and I don't necessarily mean to bring up modern political terms or, or to bring <laughs> up the concept of what's happening now, but I'm, I, I have this theory and this idea that episode nine is going to take what we are experiencing right now in the world and bring that to the next level in this galaxy far, far away. Star Wars and politics in real life have a way of connecting with each other. And it's yeah. something that George truly built a connection with throughout the prequels and the original trilogy. And one of the things, and it's great how Gareth Edwards and Rogue One did it at a certain time. He really tapped into what was going on in the world and showing that through Rogue One and that concept of even when we're down, we're going to find our way up during times of war and during times of uncertainty. And Episode Nine couldn't come at a better time for fandom. It really is is slated for a perfect release time because we can all sit back and find those connections and say, this is what George gave us in the past. And this is truly what this this uh, sequel trilogy is giving us in many yeah. ways is exactly what George established. And yeah. it's super exciting to now, <laughs> you know, watching the original trilogy as a youngster growing up with the prequels and now seeing this in the sequel trilogy is that idea of it really hasn't changed. It's the same concepts, but 
given to us at a time when it's most needed. And that's yeah. super exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think that really big picture idea of the sequels of um, the threat rising again. And so many yeah. people, you know, in the Republic not wanting to deal with it. And, you know, Leia's not a warmonger. Leia doesn't want no. war. Leia doesn't want to be out there collecting weapons. Nope. But she knows that she has to. Uh, so I, I really think that idea will be touched upon of that idea that things are cyclical and that, uh, you know, the pursuit of the uh, peace and justice and, and making as many things good for as many beings in the galaxy as you can is something that constantly has to be defended. Um, mm. And I think those are definitely like real life issues that people uh, deal with. You know, whatever you believe, you, you, you can look and see different beliefs coming back into vogue and you think like, well, we're we don't, n nobody in the world believes this anymore. Like, oh, wait, oh, we do? Okay, great. Uh, that's a discussion we have to have again. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, and that's, I think, a, a really powerful, a powerful idea. Yeah. And, oh, my goodness, how great would it be if Poe Dameron shows up at that meeting? It's just like, our forefathers once originally established <laughs> this idea that defeating the Empire, you know, just this. This whole concept of, of almost like the Declaration of Independence. This is on a stormy summer's night in 1776. No, uh, that, that, I, that necessarily wouldn't have to happen. <laughs> but <laughs> a stormy night uh, amongst the stars. Oh, that might be the episode title, Stormy Night Amongst the Stars. <laughs> I like that. Uh, wow, very romantic episode of Star Wars. Ooh, ooh, very much so, Joseph. Very much so. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that, that, that would, I totally agree with you on so many different levels. There's so many different ways that Episode Nine could pull forward and, and give us something that truly connects us to life right now, like you said. And that whole idea of escapism, we go in there, we see concepts that we see in real life, and it brings us back to that galaxy far, far away. That's what we love about Star Wars. That's what brings us together. That's what brings these conversations to the forefront and allows us to really geek out on some of the best stuff when it comes to Star Wars. Now, Joseph, I do have to ask you this because I've asked almost every person who's come <laughs> on to make the jump up recently – and with the release of a certain comic book series that we're going to see come around Halloween time, listen, I am absolutely obsessed with the concept of Vader's Castle. <laughs> All right. It's one of those things that showed up in Rogue One, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. They are truly giving this to us right now. They are truly going to do this. And it's one of those concepts that even Drew Carpetian, back in the day, I thought he was going to touch upon it and he was going to give it to us then – and now we see it play out in the cinematic universe. Dude, I mean, if we see, imagine if we could see Vader's castle and Kylo Ren visit that in this next film. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, that would be amazing. Um, I, I want to think that something will happen with it. Uh, Kylo, I love the castle. The castle is uh, amazing. Conceptually, design-wise, the fact that it's on Mustafar... Uh, even that Rogue One didn't label it Mustafar because like, well, just wait. We want you to freak out a few seconds later. Uh, <laughs> right. Don't you react to the the, the titles? The, so just wait, just wait. It's Vader's castle. It's cool. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but whether or not it'll show up in Episode Nine to me is so much about where Kylo is at. Because mm, mm, good I point. I feel like uh, Kylo's journey had, and some of this is me just filling in my own head canon. Is you know feeling upset with his mentors you know his parents between han leia and luke all kind of 
treating him like oh, a little bit like dynamite of like, oh, yeah, you're you're going to be so powerful, but we need to make sure that you're powerful in the right way and we're a little afraid right. of you. So, in fact, why don't you go away and your uncle can train you and he's maybe going to treat you kind of like dynamite and he's going to be scared of you. And Kylo gets, you know, angry and says like, oh, I want to be like my grandfather, you know, this right. powerful figure. And then uh, at the beginning of Last Jedi, Snoke mocks him for it. And says basically, mm. you're not you're not Vader. You're just a child in a mask. He smashes the mask, and then he he gets on his kill the past pedestal. Yeah, I think is like, hey, I, I felt rejected by the light side by my parents and my uncle. So I turned to the to the dark side to Snoke and to this image of who I think my grandfather is, and they both rejected me. And I think that's why he's so obsessed in the movie with kill the past because he's been failed on the sort of the Vader and Snoke side of it too. Mm. He's left in this place where he just wants to rage against the world. So mm. there's a part of me that feels like, uh, I don't know if he's still on that path that we saw him in force awakens of being right. the fanboy who'd want to go there for his secrets. But all that said, I'd be thrilled if he was just like, no, I need to be as full of the dark side as, as possible. I'm just power hungry. I want to be able to just kill people across the galaxy with a snap of my fingers. Cause I'm mad with power and, I'm going to sit in my grandfather's castle and uh, scar myself with lava on purpose. Like, I'd love it if you were just losing <laughs> right. it, you know? I wanted him to see the dark side power. Uh, but I wonder about it because I wonder if they're going to continue that threat of him possibly rejecting Vader. Yeah, and it would make sense in the moody mode that he's in that he would be like, yeah, you know what? Screw my grandfather. You know, I I, I, I want to go beyond that. It, it, it's funny because you bring it up and it, in the whole Han and Leia and grooming him and everything. And it's like, is this, is this Kylo Ren or is this a guy or is this a young kid trying to get his Yale law degree? It's like, <laughs> it's like, wait, wait a second. Okay. So mom and dad raise him and, and they're trying to say, Hey, you know, go to Yale, get your law degree, go represent people in court. And then it's like, no, oh, you know what? I want to go to Harvard instead. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, it's like, I want to do something else with it. I want to be a business lawyer. And it's like that whole idea of, I, I don't want to fit into the mold in which my parents have given me. I want to go beyond that. And now he's coming to the point, like you said, it, it's like, do I really want that even? Yeah. You know, do, 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 do I really want to go down that pathway either? And the whole like concept of Vader's castle and why I, I'm still stuck on whether they do it or not is that, if Ray goes and explores more of what Luke's training was about and the sense of the force and truly opens up the Jedi text and she starts to learn that where there's light, there's dark and there's balance in the middle. And we almost see some of this uh, alternative realm stuff and we start to see uh, a little bit more development in terms of her knowledge of the force. Does Kylo go to Vader's castle and does Vader have relics of the Sith? And he starts exploring those while Ray is exploring more of the side of the Jedi and, yeah. and where that balance is that that would be fascinating to see because there is an interconnect interconnectedness with within their minds. They're, they're, they're connected by Supreme leader Snoke. So if Ray pursues that, then Ren pursues the other side and yeah. that balance would be absolutely fascinating to see. But like you said, for that to happen there, it has to make sense. And uh, you you don't really want Vader's castle just showing up and then Kylo's like, oh, this is a cool place. You know, oh, it's yeah. like Randy's Donuts. Oh, I'm going to show up. I'm going to get a donut and walk out. It's like, you know, you got service yeah. parking outside there. Oh, hey, this is where the Dark Lord of the Sith hung out. You yeah, know, it, takes a selfie and leaves. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you really don't want it to be shoehorned in there for that reason. 
And it, really, for me, when it comes down to the comic book series, when we see like the Tales from Vader's Castle come out around Halloween um, from Marvel, that, or is it Marvel or Dark Horse? I can't remember which one is picking that one up. Um, yeah, I'll, it's not. It's not Marvel. It's the, the other. Uh, yeah, IDW. IDW is going to pick it up. And it's going to be fascinating to see how they play around with it because I feel like once I read through that, then I'm going to be like, yeah, you know, just leave it off to the side, you know, or, or yeah, yeah, let's put this in here. It would make, it'd make a lot of sense. It would be really cool to see that play out. But until we really get into that, uh, you know, it's amazing how much the comic books play into our feelings on certain things and how the canon plays around and gives us different perspectives on things too. Yeah. Uh, it's really fascinating to see that play out. What are you reading right now, Joseph? Are, are you a big fan of the Star Wars comics? Um, I try to stay up on the comics as much as possible. There's so many, and they're so expensive. Mm. I basically I wait until they come out in collected form uh, and Smart. get them on Comixology. Um, so I'm a little behind on the main series and on the current Vader series, but I'm loving that. Uh, I've read a ton of the, the not one-shots, but like the five-issue limited series. Mm. Um, you know, I just read the Darth Maul one that came out a while back. That was great. Um, really gave me, uh, made me feel for Maul even more about how much he was trained to just do this job to just kill Jedi and then he loses the job and, mm. <laughs> you know, doesn't, doesn't know what to do with himself. Uh, so yeah, it, it, I think my favorite stuff that I have been reading, I love that, I love the five issue Lando miniseries. I think that's yes. one of the best. Um, but the the current Darth Vader comic is just amazing. I, I think it is just kind of pitch perfect. Um, and I think that the, that IDW uh, Halloween Vader comic, I think it's IDW. Apologies yeah, if I get yeah, that yeah. wrong. Um, that's going to be amazing. Uh, that's it, it's Kevin Scott. Uh, yeah. So for for people who uh, have read the From a Certain Point of View book, uh, he's the one who wrote the Obi Wan chapter. Uh, the Obi-Wan story where Obi-Wan is reflecting on all these significant points in his life and he's recalling that story uh, where he saved Luke as a kid from some Tusken Raiders and is, you know, jumping around from the moment of being, uh, uh, being one, becoming one with the Force while fighting Vader and it's, it's really great and really insightful and I think uh, Kevin Scott is an author who really, really uh, gets Star Wars in a way that makes sense to me and I think a lot of fans. Yeah, I absolutely love what he does, and just to see him take this on is going to be absolutely fantastic. Like you said, from from a certain point of view, just hits so many different fantastic levels of fandom, and seeing those authors and contributors branch off and, and do their thing with the comic books and novels and everything else is just absolutely fantastic, and uh, it's going to be a fantastic read, and I highly recommend. I agree with you. It's hard to keep up with the comic books. <laughs> I, I know right down the street for me, Stairway to Heaven Comics, which, by the way, I, I absolutely love the name of the, of the comic book store. Uh, it, it's it's one of those things that it's like, okay, when was the last time I went for my pull list? Okay, when, <laughs> when, 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 when do I have to? Because I, I love collecting the uh, the individual issues. That's that's one of my favorite things to do because uh, of the artwork. Um, yeah. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. And it's one of those things that it's hard to keep up with sometimes. And sometimes you end up at the comic book store, you got two comic books from your pull list. Next time you show up, it's like, hey, you haven't been here in a month. You got 46 issues sitting in your folder. It's like, <laughs> oh, no. 
Oh, you sell some plasma, and then I'll pick those up. <laughs> exactly. Hey, I'm going to take a run over to the credit union. I'm going I'm <laughs> to get that large sum of cash that I just worked my ass off this past week for, and I'm going to bring that right to you to make sure that you get paid and get my comic books for me. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's one of those things that um, when you have time to catch up, it's great. You know, you, you really get caught up in the canon, and you really have a great time with it. And uh, highly recommend it. I, I love your idea that you wait on comicsology. Um, I know a lot of people that wait for the trade paperbacks to come out so that they can catch up on it that way. Go to their booksellers and pick those up. Um, it just adds so much more to the Star Wars story and to the canon in many ways, and it's a lot of fun in the long run. So yeah, absolutely. I, I can't recommend it anymore. Obviously, Joseph recommends it in many ways to enjoy yourself and to pick up some of that canon content when you can. All right, Mr. Scrimshaw, I think we've come to that time of the show. Now, you haven't been on Make the Jump before, but I think Ken's gotten the idea of what time of the show we, it is here at the Podcast <laughs> Network. It's a little thing we like to call plug time here at the Podcast Network. <laughs> and where can the good people find you across social media and can hear your wonderful voice across the podcast fandom. Uh, yeah, you can uh, find me on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. And then uh, I've got a lot of uh, comedy albums. I do live shows. Uh, I've got my other podcast, Obsessed, and you can find info on all of those various adventures on my website at josephscrimshaw.com. And then, of course, I do the Four Center podcast with Ken Nabsock and with Jennifer Landa. We got all sorts of different shows. Uh, so you can pretty much just Google Four Center for that, and you will either get us or a Swedish gym, I believe. Ooh. Uh, we are doing, I think we're making a better impression on, on Google uh, than, uh, <laughs> than the Swedish gym. I think we tweet more. I think so. Uh, but yeah, so you can find out. We're on Twitter, we're on uh, Instagram and Facebook, and we have a. The public uh, page and all that stuff, and you can find it all just by googling googling Force Center and Star Wars. Yeah, the only Swedish gym that I really care about is pushing around my cart at uh, IKEA and making sure I pick up some <laughs> Swedish meatballs and getting that one dollar frozen yogurt. Sometimes that's 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 about the closest thing to a Swedish uh, gym I'll yeah. get close to. You some guys meatball can... crunches, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You guys can follow me over on Twitter at Mr. Road Tweets. Check out all my tomfoolery in the Star Wars universe over on Instagram at the official vote. You know the spiel with Brick City Blockade. Head on over to www.brickcityblockade.com. That's where you can find our T Public. That's where you can find our Patreon to support the podcast network. Having us have guests on and having those awesome conversations from a galaxy far, far away. Please make sure to donate to our Galaxy of Hope, our uh, team up with Starlight Children's Foundation, helping out children around the country, making sure that they get everything needed. Our good friend Stephen Stanton does some wonderful work with Starlight Children's Foundation, so big shout-out to him and big shout-out to Starlight Children's Foundation. So you can find all the information there about our event coming up on September 29th, all proceeds benefiting Starlight Children's Foundation. You can also check us out on iTunes. You can find out all things Brick City Blockade, all you blockaders out there over on iTunes and all those great, fantastic podcasting apps. Joseph, it has been such an awesome conversation, my friend. Hope to have you on here soon again. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, this was a thrill. As we always say here from the podcast network and make the jump. Hey, guys, have a great night. And may the force be with you. Always. <laughs>